0: Uh, welcome, I'm Kotz, so I'm the teaching pastor here. We're going through a series called Me and We. We're gonna finish this next week, so we're near the end, and uh, we're talking about relationships. We think that it's important to talk about some of our most important relationships, such as the relationship of marriage or dating, and so that we're spending a few weeks talking about this. You're catching us towards the end of the series, and that means uh, if you wanna catch up, you go to our website, and you, or get a, you know, uh, find us on podcasts, and you could catch up with us. Uh, but the reason we 're talking about this is because of this. This is the foundation we 're talking about that it 's difficult to experience heaven together if we have unhealthy dating slash marital relationships when we talk what I mean by this is God might have called you to do something extraordinary. God might have called you to be sacrificial in so that somebody else could benefit from your sacrifice. Some, God might have called you to care for the homeless God could have called you to stand for certain injustices in the world i don 't know what it is God might have called you to do something something I didn't list right now and that's totally cool but we've learned that in order to experience that heaven here on earth if things aren't well at home if things aren't well with the relationships that you call your priority that is your priority it's really hard to commit yourself to doing the things that God has called you to do so we believe that it's very important that we get that relationship right because that frees us or sometimes empowers us to do the things that God has called us to do but we also discovered about this is that when we talk about the we relationship usually you can't change the other person. You can't point your finger and say, if you were better at this relationship, I could go out and do the things I wanna do. Because we can't change the other person. So the thing we do have control over is ourselves, and that's why we also said that before we talk about and get to the we part of the relationship, we must first deal with me. We have to deal with what I have control over, which is me. And I've warned you over and over again because you need to know this, okay? in this sermon, at any point you feel like, man, I wish my boyfriend was here, or I wish my girlfriend was here, or I wish my partner was here, or I wish my husband was here, then, then don't think that way. Because this is not for them, this is for you. Okay? And you can't say, well, Kat said to say this to you, you can't do that, because this is for you. Okay? <laughs> you can only change yourself, okay? And that's, that's the whole point of this. So that's why we're calling it We and Me. This is about me, okay? And this is what I'm going to do. Now, uh, we've been talking over the past few weeks that the core of what we believe about relationships is based off of this one verse in the Bible, and it's the one command that Jesus told us that even if you get everything wrong, if you get this one thing right, this one mission-critical thing right, if you get this one thing right, then you're going to get a lot of things right. So what is this one thing? Well, Jesus tells us in John chapter 15, he says this, my command is this, love each other, which is yeah, it's like Dr. Phil, who's like, like when there's like a broken relationship, he says the most obvious thing, like, you need to love your wife. And like, oh, you know, it's like, okay. He gets paid to say that. But so when Jesus says you need to love each other, it's like a duh thing, right? But the second part of this is the part that is really revolutionary. He says, love each other as I have loved you. No one ever has loved as Jesus has loved other people. And so the question is, I mean, if you were to take the way that Jesus loved and, and there were people who experienced that love when 2,000 years ago when Jesus was here on earth, they experienced the love of Jesus and they're like, this is revolutionary. We need to teach the world on how to love like Jesus loved. And so... People like Paul the Apostle, one of the first Christian leaders in history, he took this message and he went outside of Israel because Jesus is from Israel, right? And he's telling the people in the Roman Empire, people who are from the Greek culture, he's telling people, you guys, this is going to change the world. You need to love like Jesus loved me. To which the question, the follow-up question would be, well, then who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Like, if I knew who Jesus was, then maybe I have a shot at loving like Jesus. But here's the problem when people heard the phrase you need to love like Jesus loved in a different culture that culture already had a preconceived notion of what love looked like oh yeah I know what love love looks like love looks like this 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 and that and so what they did was they imported their cultural understanding of love to who Jesus was does that make sense they said they said oh if this is what love is then Jesus must have been this way but what Paul says over and over and over again is, no, 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 it has to go the other way around. You need to learn who Jesus is and then import that definition of love into your culture. You don't have the right, no one has the right to redefine who Jesus is. And so Paul, in his writings, he wrote most of the New Testament, he writes over and over and over again about this. How did Jesus love me? So as Paul tells his, his story, his testimony of how Jesus loved him, People are starting to understand both who Jesus is and what love ought to look like. And so he writes this thing in a letter that he writes to a church in a place called Corinth. Okay, and, he, and if you've been to a Christian wedding, you've probably heard people read this verse to you. This is from 1 Corinthians 13. Last week, we went through the first half of the list that Paul has listed for us. And so I'm just going to recap this for you. It says this, love is patient. We talked about how love accommodates for the capacity of the partner. What that means is if if you're going at a certain pace in life love forces me to go at the pace of my partner if i'm going too fast i need to slow down because paul says because that's what jesus did for me he never god never looked at paul and said you need to hurry up because i'm already at the end of the story come on come on hurry up he says no 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 wherever i was god always met me there that's what it means to be patient next on the list love is kind when he says love is kind, what he, what he meant by that, because remember, there's, this was written in Greek. There's no accurate translation. But the best way to describe it is love loans your partner your strength when they're at their weak, weakest. And at the same time, you don't remind them of their weakness while you're doing that. And then Paul says, that's the Jesus I experienced. When I experienced Jesus, I realized that, when, that, that at my weakest, when I was a sinner, he died for me. He sacrificed himself for me when I couldn't live for myself. And so he says, love is kind. Next on the list, love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. This is his way of saying, love allows the other person to shine. That you're willing to step out of the spotlight to allow your partner to step into the spotlight because that's what love does. Love does not say, hey, you did a good job on that. Good job, good job. But you know, let me tell you my story because I did a better job. You don't steal the thunder away from the other person. Love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. And then finally, at the end of that list last week, we said that love does not dishonor others. Love does not dishonor others. That means to treat your partner as if they're more important than you. Your priority is with them more so than yourself. Um, And he said that, you know, when Jesus, I know he's more valuable than me. He's God and I'm a human being. He's way more valuable than me. But if you look at his actions, He laid his life down for me as if I was more important than him. So he says, when you love somebody, you need to love them in the way where it seems like they're more important than you. You put more value on the other person. Not that they actually have more value. He says, but your actions have to show that that other person has more value than yourself. Not because they deserve it or not because they have more value in God's eyes. It's because that's just what love demands of you. So today we're going to be going over the second half of this list. Um, and if I talk really fast, it's because you're not listening fast enough. Okay, so here we go. <laughs> next, next part of the list is this. We're gonna start here today. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not self-seeking. We don't use these terms that much today. So in today's language, it would be this. Love is not selfish. Love is not selfish. That means you're taking your interests and needs and putting as secondary. You're putting the interests and needs of the other person and putting them first. It's sitting at a table saying, I want to hear about your story today. It's it's saying, I'm more interested in hearing about your story than trying to brag about my own story. Now, I don't think I need to go deep into this one because I think this is pretty self-explanatory, but I will say a few things about this. If you are thinking about getting into a dating relationship, so you haven't started dating yet, or maybe you are in a relationship right now, and dating is your way of kind of seeing if this is the right person for me or not. If you are in a relationship with somebody that is selfish, self-seeking, Okay, you need to get out of that relationship because it's destructive. Um, There is an easy way to find out if your partner is selfish. And this is something that one of my mentors when I was in college taught me. Okay, he says this. What you need to do in order to find out if the person is selfish or not is for you to first become selfless. And so what you do is in your relationship, you do this. You give and give and give. Okay, and if your partner decides to take and take and take, then the simple answer here is you need to run and run and run. (laughs) I know, like some of these lessons stick with me. Like I learned this in college and I still remember it. (laughs) And why is this, why do we have to run away from relationships like this? It's because the ideal type of relationship that God has created for us is a relationship where, where two people come together and both sides are selfless. It works out. So what you want to have is a selfless plus selfless type of relationship. So I'm going to pour myself out into the other person and... But I'm not left empty because the other person's also pouring that person's self out into this person. So in both cases, they're filled because they're both selfless. But if you end up in a situation where one side is selfless but the other side is selfish, what happens is one side ends up being empty and the other one ends up being bloated. Or what's even worse than this is the last scenario, which is selfish plus selfish, where they're both demanding stuff from each other and neither one wants to give anything up because you know because they're selfish right and so when paul wrote down these words love is not self-seeking he had to ask himself this question he said i need to know how god has shown me this characteristic so that i could live this out to the people around me so i call this love as god loved me how did god demonstrate this to me and how am i going to live that out to the people around me so the first part the question is this who benefited from my relationship with god paul has to ask himself this question who benefited from this relationship i have with god D- does god have something gained from being in a relationship with me was he dying on the cross thinking finally i'm gonna get what i wanted I, i'm gonna benefit you know I'm, I'm gonna make so much out of it. like what was in it for him and what was in it for me and if you realize that god already has everything that he needs and everything that he wants right you realize that when he wants to start a relationship with me it was more for my benefit than it was for his in the same way as paul realized this He says, well, in that case, in my horizontal relationships, he says, well, am I in this relationship for my sake? When you look at your partner, are you in this relationship for my sake or for the other person's sake? Like the question is, uh, and I'll give you another example of something my mentor taught me, okay? He said this, when somebody gets on their knees and proposes to their soon-to-be spouse, right, what are they really saying when he says, please marry me? Is this person saying, please marry me because I love the way you make me feel? Uh, please marry me because I can't wait to see my friends react to me being with such a person like you. Because that's very self-seeking. Or if when you're on your knees and proposing, are you saying, I can't wait to spend the rest of my life with you serving you. Am I in this relationship for my sake? Or am I in this relationship for the sake of yours? And this is a question that we have to ask. So, love is not self-seeking. Next on the list, Paul says, "Love is not easily angered." Now, if you read this passage in the original language, which is Koine Greek, it's like the ancient Greek language. um, The words there doesn't say "easily angered." What it's actually a word picture that Paul uses here, and the word they use here is basically this. um, It's like if somebody keeps jabbing you over and over and over and over again. It's like when your kids keep saying, "Are "Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet?" Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? It's like this constant jabbing, right? And 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 so the words that you know and other translators use is that love is not easily agitated. Love is not easily stimulated. It's you're, it's slow for you to get to that boiling point. He says if you love somebody, their actions that might irritate you at first, it doesn't it doesn't make you like just go crazy at the person just because they're doing it. Another way of putting it is that love does not react but it responds. You're not reaction, you're not like, just stop doing that, okay, just stop, because it's just so annoying. No, 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 you, you actually take the time and say, hey, you know what you're doing, why are you doing that? In other words, maybe a better way of putting this is that love seeks to understand. There's a reason why that person is doing what they're doing. And that person probably doesn't even know that it's agitating you, right? When somebody says, if when somebody starts doing something to you, and they think it's, a, it's an okay thing, but it's to you, it's annoying. If they start doing that to you, you have to find out, well, let me hear your story. Why do you do the things you're doing? Well, like, look, like, do you think it's actually improving our relationship, right? So uh, um, I'll give you an example of this. When I first got married, okay, well, let me, let me back up. Before you get married, you have this, this vision, like an image of what marriage married life looks like, you know what I'm talking about? And I'll tell you what that looked like in my mind and what reality really looked like, Okay. I'm, s- I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, okay, so uh, the part that I was really looking forward to was waking up in the morning, you know, and, and when I woke up in the morning, I just imagined that the sunlight, the beams of light is going to be shining through the window, through the gaps of the, the blinds that you have, right? And you're, like, opening your eyes. The alarm doesn't go off because you, know, you wake up before it goes off because that's what my life looks like in my mind but in real life i need somebody to wake me up every time but anyways i wake up i open my eyes i hear the birds chirping outside the window and i open my eyes and i see my wife sleeping and i'm like that's the most beautiful thing that i've ever seen and i get to wake up to this every morning that's what i thought would happen (laughs) the truth is the truth is she wakes up way before me and she's gone so by the time i wake up she's not there but the first few weeks of being married okay i wouldn't wake up because the alarm went off I don't wake up because the birds chirping outside woke me up. I woke up because I felt suffocated. Yeah, I'll, I'll, let me explain this, okay? <laughs> I wake up like, and the reason I open my eyes is because her face is right in front of mine and she's breathing right into my mouth. <laughs> and I realize carbon dioxide is not something that I should be breathing in. And so I'm like, I'm like, and now I'm, so, I'm such a good husband, a new husband, that I don't want to wake her up. So I'm going to try to slowly move to, you know, to turn around. And then when she wakes up, she's like, why is your back to me, right? So I'm like, so in my mind, I'm thinking, I need to face her and try my best to just move my mouth up so I bre- I'm not breathing from her mouth. Now, every morning, now I thought that was like a one-time deal, but every morning that would happen. <laughs> now, sometimes she'll wake up before me, and then I could sleep through the morning, you know, like the early hours of the morning just fine. But then after that, what would happen? Like the mornings that where she wakes up before me... Like, the first thing I I sense is her hovering over me, right? And she's like, hey, Cots, good morning. And what I smell now is her coffee breath, because she drinks coffee in the morning. And back then, I didn't drink coffee, and it just nauseated me. So I'm like, like, oh, right? Now, that was my morning for the first few months of marriage. And it's not just once, but it would happen over and over and over again. And after a while, I was starting to get a little agitated, because I like to sleep. I like to be rested, right? And so instead of reacting and saying, well, how does this feel? <laughs> like, I, I didn't do that, right? Because I'm a loving husband. You know, agape love. Jesus is love just pouring out through me. Now, um, instead, I told her, like, you know, when your face is, like, right in front of my face and you're breathing carbon dioxide into my mouth, like, I feel like I'm suffocating. And, you know, over time, we worked it out. So if my back is her when she wakes up, she doesn't feel offended anymore because she understands why. And even to this day, my back is to you when I go to bed. And it's okay, you know, because we worked it out. <laughs> but that's what it means to not be easily angered. This is why Paul, the words that Paul uses here is there's certain things that people do with the best of intentions, right? They, they do things, but to you, it feels like somebody's jabbing you over and over and over and over again. But it's not meant to anger you, but that's how it feels like sometimes. Because what I've learned over time is this, that everybody's behavior makes perfect sense to them, right? And so when you say things like, I just don't understand why you keep doing that. And the answer to that is, that's right. You don't understand. You don't know something that the other person knows. In that person's mind, there's a perfectly reasonable purpose for the, why, like, the reason why Val's face is so close to mine is because she wants to be close to me. Like In her mind, she thought this is what marriage looked like. And I thought so, too, until I actually experienced, you know, sometimes it looks good in your head, but then when you experience it, it's not as good. Yeah, it was one of those things, right? And so you have to understand. Love seeks to understand the other person. It takes the time not to react, but to respond to the things that might be agitating you. You work things out together. Paul says that's what it looks like. That's what love looks like. It is not easily angered. So as Paul is writing these words down, he's thinking, when I put this down on how we have to love one another, I need to think about how does God love me in this way? So love as God loved me. How, how does that work out? Well, Paul asked this question. How understanding is God of my flaws? Is God like, I just don't understand why you keep doing that? Or is God like, I understand how you arrived at that conclusion, but it's not right. But you know, like throughout the scriptures, we understand a very patient God who seeks to understand who we are and why we do the things we do. And so if that's who God is and how he has loved me, then the way we ought to love one another is basically found in this question, which is when I, when I am jabbed by my partner, do I react or respond? And if you're extremely reactionary, then maybe we need to take time to, uh, to s- start understanding the other person and start having conversation, asking tough questions, because that's what love demands of us. Next on the list. This is a long one. Love is, keeps, hmm. <laughs> Please forgive me. I think that is not supposed to be there. Love keeps no records of wrongs. Uh, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Okay, so what does this mean? Now, I think this makes perfect sense without me really spending too much time on it. But I want to start by asking a question, okay, because this is about how we, um, react to how how we respond to when bad things happen in our relationships. It's this. Do you enjoy catching your partners messing up? Do you enjoy, is there some kind of joy that sparks in your heart when you see somebody that you care about mess up? Because what Paul is saying here is when somebody messes up, you don't keep tabs on that person. Because when you keep tabs on the person, what you're really doing, okay, is you're trying to build up a case against the other person. This is the fourth time you did this, man. God, so you got to stop doing this. You did it again. You know, like. And after a while, I realized, oh, is this person rejoicing in the fact that I keep messing up? And Paul says that's not what love, that's not what love looks like. But then I heard people. Want, you know, I once I was talking about this to a group of college students, and this one person said, "Yeah, but, but." It's the truth, isn't it? I'm being, like, I know I'm, I keep saying this is the sixth time you did this, this is the ninth time you did this. Like, I'm telling the truth. That's all I'm doing. It's almost like somebody's saying, like, stop gossiping. I'm not gossiping. I'm just telling the truth. Like, okay, yeah, those are two different categories. But anyways, like, when somebody says I'm just telling the truth, I'm just, you know, yes, I understand what you said is absolutely right. What you just said is absolutely factual. It's correct. Yes, that is the ninth time I messed up today, right? But what I want to make sure that we all understand here is that you can be right, but you can also end up alone by being right. There's somebody in this church who said, sometimes I have to choose, do I, have to, do I want to be right with my spouse or do I want to be with my spouse? And this is what Paul's getting at right now. There is a way to be both, but sometimes you have to be able to read the situation and say, today's not a day to be right. Paul says, when it comes to being right, when it comes to just keeping tabs on people's wrongs, that's... Maybe more, you know, that's more factual, but that's not the goal we have. We're not, our goal here isn't to be right. Our goal here is to be in a loving relationship. And sometimes having facts of how many times you messed up is the thing that gets in the way of actually having that relationship with the other person. You could win a fight with your spouse. You could win a fight with your boyfriend, girlfriend, with your partner. But you can still lose a relationship over it. You have to ask yourself, which one is more important, to win a fight or to win a relationship? And like I said, why do we do this? It's because in some part of our minds, we find some joy in finding that our partner's messed up. We find some joy in knowing that we have the upper hand because now we, we, we have tabs on how many times that person's messed up. So when it comes to you know, this, this, this description of love, what I want you to know is this, is that love does not seek power. Love does not seek power. Love voluntarily steps down and so when Paul's writing down that love does not keep tabs on people, when he's writing these words, he has in mind this question, which is this. Love as, as God love, which is the next one. Here you go. Has God ever used my flaws against me? Does God keep tabs on, my, on the many times that I messed up in life? Just Some of you might say, oh, yeah, God forgives and forgets, right? Well, that's not accurate. Okay, God does not forget. Okay, but there's a verse in Psalm 103 that says this. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so he's saying heavens, he's talking about the sky, he's saying this is the earth, the sky, I don't know how far it goes, but I'm sure, you know, we didn't, they didn't have, they didn't go to outer space back then, they didn't know how high the skies were, but they were like, it's pretty high, I don't know where the sky ends, so he's like, as high as I, are the skies above the earth, right, so great is his love for those who fear him. For those who want to commit to having a relationship with God, the love he has for us is just, uh, it's immeasurable, I don't, I don't know how far it goes in the same breath he says this as far as the east is from the west which is like i don't know how far this goes i don't know how far that way goes but it's just i just know it's as far as it goes so far has he removed our transgressions from us what he's saying is not he's not here in this context in the language he's not talking about forgiveness here he's not talking about how god forgives us because that comes later in the story here he's talking about how god does not use our past transgressions against us as a matter of fact he casts it so far away as east is from the west that it's And God can reach all things, right? But it's so far that even God can't reach it. He doesn't use it against us. God doesn't say, remember five years ago, that one time on October 3rd, that you did this. He doesn't do that. This is what he, so so the question again is, has God ever used my flaws against me? The answer is no. In the Bible, there are times where flaws are brought up, but that's usually brought up on our end, when we bring it up to God. And God's like, well, if you bring it up, then we'll talk about it, Right? So when Paul writes this down, he says, well, okay, if that's how God has treated me, then perhaps the way I treat other people is this. Am I seeking to get the upper hand in in my relationship? And if your answer is yes, then you got it wrong. Because the way that God has loved me, it seems like God always looks at the bright side. He always looks at the potential of a human being. And perhaps that's what we should be doing. All right, next on the list. Love always protects. Love always protects. What that means is love does not allow destructive things into this relationship. Love casts out destructive things out of this relationship. In other words, love does not make my partner feel unsafe. Keep in mind that for you and your partner, the place where you can be the most vulnerable with you, be the most completely you, should be in your relationships. It should be in your, you know, your, with your partner, right? And if you take advantage of that vulnerability, you are destroying that relationship. You're destroying the confidence that the person has. You're destroying that person's life. So he says, do not smuggle in behind their backs. Do not smuggle in things that might betray that vulnerability. Do not do that because that's very destructive and that just makes you a bad person, right? So don't do that. Do not smuggle in things that might make you feel unsafe that you don't feel like you'd be vulnerable in your partners in, in, this, in, in this relationship anymore. Do not smuggle in debt. Be open about it. Do not smuggle in bad habits. Be open about it. Do not smuggle in lies. Do not, do not smuggle in people into your relationship that you know will, be, will, dis, will create envy and jealousy. Don't do that. He says you do everything you can to protect that relationship. So, once again, Paul asks this question. If, lo- if I were to love as God loved me, right, how did God make me, so the question is this, do, do I feel safe in my relationship with God? Do I ever feel like God's gonna turn his back on me? Do I ever feel like God's gonna betray me? And Paul, looking at all this, he's like, no, I feel completely secure. I feel like I could tell him anything and he would not judge me for it. I, I could mess up in the worst way and God would be like, hey, I'll help you back up. I want to be there for you. I feel very secure in my relationship with God. Well, then how am I supposed to treat the other people in light of this? Well, does my partner feel safe enough to be vulnerable with me? If your partner is having a hard time opening up to you and assuming that everything else is right, that everything else is not broken in a relationship, you might need to ask the other person, like, uh, why is it hard for you to open up to me? And the person will say, well, it's because every time I say something, you try to fix it right away. Or <laughs> every time I try to be vulnerable with you, you, I feel like you're judging me with your tone. Or, and you realize, I haven't created a safe place. I haven't protected this relationship. Do not let bad habits, debt, gossip, lie, do not let that enter into your relationship because it might keep your partner from being vulnerable with you, and that's very important. Next on the list, love always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Translation, love chooses to assume the best. And the opposite is also true, which is love chooses to see past the worst. In many cases in your relationships, and this is, you know, your expectation and reality has a huge gap in between. I'll give you an example. If I were to tell Val, my wife, if I were to say, hey, um, I'll meet you here at 10 o'clock in the morning, and the person doesn't show up, if if Val doesn't show up until uh, 11 o'clock, there's a gap. I expected you here at a certain time, but then you didn't show up until then, and now it's up to me to fill in that gap. What would I put here in this gap? Now, if I were loving the way that Paul expects me to be loving, I will fill that gap by saying, you know, she probably got held back in traffic. Maybe there's an emergency. I hope she's okay. But if you fill it with the worst, it's like, oh, she's late because she's trying to get back at me for that other time I was late. Or, you know, right? We fill in the gap with whatever we, we, we it's our freedom to fill it up with whatever we want, right? If somebody were to come to me and say, hey, Cos, Cos, the other day I saw your wife at Starbucks hanging out with this guy. Her hand was out and his hand was on top of it and they were laughing and they were having a good time. Now, my expectation, right, is she made a vow to me at the, at the altar when we got married and my expectation is that she's has been faithful to me. Reality is that somebody saw her at Starbucks, you know, having that fun time without me. And so the gap, is up to me to fill that gap. And if I was loving, I would fill that gap by thinking, you know what? Maybe that person who told me doesn't know that that was her dad or doesn't know that maybe that was me, right? See, I was wearing some nice clothes, which I rarely do, and that that can't be Katsi's wearing, like, a, a suit and tie, that can't be caught, right? So it's like, no, 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 that was me. Like, you fill in that gap with your own explanation and you give him the benefit of the doubt. You overlook the worst case scenario because that's what love demands. So, love as God loved me. Paul has to ask the question, how is God, is God generous with his grace towards me? Whenever I feel, you know, I'm caught doing something bad, do I want God to, do I want God to say, I know you were doing this, but I totally understand why you're doing it. He gives me grace. And Paul's experience has been, every time I've been in a situation where I regret, with fulfilled with regrets, God always shows me grace. He always gives me a second chance. He always gives me a chance to redeem myself. He always says, if you can't redeem yourself, it's okay, I'm here to wipe it all away for you. Like, God has been so gracious. He's been gracious with His grace. And, gracious. He's been generous with His grace. And so, if, that, if, if I were to translate that to my horizontal relationships, What would that look like this is a question i have for you do i assume the best in my partner when he or she falls short do i assume the best in my partner when he or she falls short so that's the bottom that's the last of the long list that paul gives us remember the question was this love my partner as god loved me how has god loved me and how does that translate to people around me and he gave us this long list Love is not forceful. Love lends strength. It allows partners, your partner to shine. It values, par- it values your partner above yourself. It's selfless. It's, it responds rather than reacts. It does not keep score. It protects. It sees the best in the other person. Now, if we were to look at this list, right? And you were like, how am I doing with that list? Because remember, this is about me, not the other person, right? What grade would you give yourself? Now, when I looked at this list, I was like, on a good day, C minus. On a regular day, D+. plus, Maybe a D. We'll see. <laughs> I'll let my wife grade me on that. But anyway, <laughs> right? And this is probably like, what? God expects us to be this? I, 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 I'm nowhere near this list. How am I supposed to? Uh, there has to be another way. Well, let's look at another way, okay? If you were looking for the perfect date, if you were looking for the perfect spouse, if you are looking for that ideal person, wouldn't you want all of this? Wouldn't you want that person to check off every single thing on this list? Well, when Paul came up with this list, he was saying, well, guess what, guys? God checks off every single one of these lists. He is a perfect relationship that you can have. If you've been looking for a perfect person, look no further. Here it is. It's Jesus. And that's not where, that's not the only good news he has for you. He says, and if you follow him, if you have a relationship with him, he will slowly transform your heart to resemble this list little by little. He calls it the new humanity. He says, eventually the people who follow Jesus will become more and more and more to represent this list because they're becoming more and more like Jesus. And so he says... I know it's impossible. You look at this list right now and you're like, I'm nowhere near this. And yes, I gave myself a D for this list. But you've got to remember, 10 years ago, it was an F. Okay, so I'm working my way up and the curve is set too high because some of you guys are way too holy. But, but he's saying, that, he's like, the closer you get to Jesus, the more you start to look like this list. And if you don't look like this list, then maybe you're not following Jesus or maybe you have the wrong version of Jesus. Remember how I said that in that culture when you said look like Jesus, loved you, they, they said, well, then I understand what love looks like, so I'm going to import that into who Jesus is. This is Paul saying, no, no, that's not right. You have to get to know who Jesus is and import his definition of love into your culture. And if, if you're not becoming like this list, then you have the wrong version of Jesus. You've imported the wrong love. This is not what Jesus is like. At the end of this list, he gives us this long list, right? He concludes by saying this one little teaching that seems kind of out of nowhere, but... His train of thought is still the same. He says this. When I was a child, when I was young, I talked like a child. And nobody thought that was weird because I was actually a child. People expect me to talk like a child. I thought like a child, and that was okay because I was a child, and people expect children to think like children. And I responded, I reasoned like a child, and that's okay too because that's what a child is supposed to do. My understanding of God, when I was a child, people expected me to have a conception of God that was childish right when people say what does love look like and describe this some fairy tale that I saw in a Disney movie people are like that's cute because you're a child it's okay that you see it that way then paul says but when i became a man when i grew up i put the ways of childhood behind me it was time that i gave up on my definition of what i thought love was and start looking to jesus to see what love should look like now that i've grown up it's time for me to have an adult a grown-up version of what love looks like Or are we still stuck living out our childhood memories of what love ought to look like? This is what Paul is saying. I just give you a list of what love ought to look like, and some of you are still hanging on to, your, to a very immature version of what love ought to look like. Your, some of you are still holding on to a very immature version of what God ought to look like and how he ought to act like. And then he continues this verse. It gets really deep, really fast. If I have time, I'll talk about it too. But okay, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. And by the way, back then, mirrors are not like the mirrors that you have today. They were like metal. It was made out of copper in some cases. So you couldn't see a clear reflection. You see like a blurry outline of yourself. It's like, that might be the eye, that might be the nose, I'm not sure, right? So what he's saying is, like right now in our lives, like Paul's talking about his journey. He's like, I've been you know, growing in Jesus for the past few years. And right now where I stand in my journey, When I look at God to see what God is like, when I assess what love looks like, right now when I look in the mirror, it's like me looking in the mirror where I could could see what it's supposed to look like, but it's not clear to me. He said, that's what it looks like. That's what love and God looks like to me right now. As long as I've been on this journey, that's what God and love looks like to me. Then he says, "Um, then we shall see face to face. like one day, there's going to come a day where I'm going to see Jesus face to face. And at that day, where I'm going to look at him and like, oh, so that's what you look like. I had the boss, the you know, I had the idea what you look like. I had an idea what love looked like. But one day, when I see Jesus face to face, I'm going to be like, oh, so that's what love is supposed to look like. I was pretty close, you know, right? And then he says, now I know in part. Right now, what I know is kind of partial, right? But then, in the future, I shall know fully. Eventually, I'm going to know exactly what love looks like, and I realize how close I was to what, you know, what what I'm experiencing right now. Even as I I am fully known. Right now, God knows me fully inside and out. One day, I'm going to know God like that. And one day, I'm going to know what love looks like inside and out. And then, you see, at that time, people had this long list of things that God is like. They were like, God is prophecy. God is miracles. God is power. God is all these things, right? And as as Paul is inching his way towards being more and more like Jesus, he's starting to cross off things off the list. Like, yes, God is power, but I don't think that's the most important thing about him, cross that off. Yes, God is prophecy, and if you read the few verses before what we just read today, it talks about that, right? He's like, but yeah, he's not that either. Yes, God is miracles, but yes, but that's not what he's all about, so he crosses that off. And so as he's inching closer and closer to what God is like, he realizes that his list gets shorter shorter and shorter, smaller and smaller, down to three things. And he says this, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. He's like, if I were to narrow everything, God's descriptions, like descriptions of what God is like down, it's down to these three things. But if I were to pick right now, because my journey's been long, in my journey, I've narrowed down to three. But one day when I see Jesus clearly, one day when I can see him face to face, one day when I know exactly what God is like, I know that the greatest of these three is love. Not the love that we grew up with, because we're grown ups now. But he's talking about the love that he said that he thinks he sees in that mirror that looks really foggy right now, but he knows that one day when he sees God face to face, he says, that version of love is what God is all about. So when he's talking to Christians in this world who are like, yes, we need to have power. Yes, power is important. That is an aspect of God. But Paul says that the most important thing about God is love. As a matter of fact, it's the opposite of love because it's the love that asks you to sacrifice to forego the power that you have for the sake of another other person. So, in summary, because we're wrapping this up right now, your relationship with Jesus, he, he's trying to create this flow chart for us that, and in, in, in case you missed it, I'm going to put it on the screen. But he says, where it all starts with is your relationship with Jesus. And the deeper and deeper you go in his, your relationship with him, what that happen, when that happens, then you learn the characteristics of what love, real love looks like. And as you go closer and closer to Jesus, and the more and more you get to understand what true love looks like, right? Then he says, from there, it transforms how you love other people. So there's this progression. He says, so, the, so he's saying, what you need to do is you need to get closer and closer to Jesus. Because when you do, you're going to discover that the most important thing about Jesus is his love, his selfless love for all people. And when you discover that, you naturally start to love other people. You start filling out the list, the list that I got a D minus on, right? That list. You become more and more a reflection of that list of who Jesus is and how he loved us. Yes, you can't change the other person in your relationships, but you can change you through Jesus. And that's what Paul is asking us to do. If you want to be like Jesus, if you want to have a healthy relationship, and you want to bring your part into this relationship, then what you need to do first is you need to follow Jesus. You need to be more and more like him. Love in the way he did because he is the one that has redefined what love is for all people, and this is what we need in our lives. So, like we did in the past few weeks, at the end of of each of these sermons in the series, uh, we left you guys with a few discussion questions that you could talk about outside or on your drive home. You know, hopefully, you won't get in a fight over these (laughs) these questions, but you know. But uh, so, we have three questions for you today. These are three questions. You can take a picture of it if you want. What childish assumptions about love have you carried into adulthood? Are you still waiting for a Prince Charming? I don't know what your preconceived notions of love looks like, but have you carried that into adulthood? Which characteristic of love is hardest to embody and why? Is it hard for you to put your spotlight on somebody else? Well, why is that? Is it hard for you to... um, Is it hard for you to, to... not keep track of people's wrongs. And so the question is why? Is it because you like to have the upper hand in the relationship? Is that why? So you can get back at them at the right time? Do you tend to react more than respond? So why, why is it so hard for you to do that? So that's just like a soul-searching type of question. And finally, of all the ways God has loved you, which one stands out above the rest? Paul made this list by asking himself, how has God loved me? And how does that translate to how I love the people around you? For some of you, the thing that really stands out about God is how God healed you. So what does that say about how you should treat other people? Maybe your words should be healing rather than judging. Maybe the biggest form of love you experience from God is that he died for you. He sacrificed himself for you. And if that's the case, how can I be selfless in sacrificing to people around me? So the third question is probably the deepest one. What aspect of God's love stands out to you? Because everybody receives God's love in a different way. However you have received God's love is probably the way that God wants you to love the people around you, and especially the people you call a partner. Amen? Amen. Okay, so next week we're closing this series up. Lori's going to come up here, and she's going to share about how to deal with breakup, because that's unfortunately, is a part of (laughs) me and we. So uh, let me pray for all of us, and uh, yeah, let's pray. (laughs)